<laughs> I, uh, I've been going over the Eightfold Path the last couple of months. Um, you know, there's eight of them, so that's allegedly two months, but it seems to last even longer in real time because I went away for a couple of weeks there too. So, But today we're at concentration, which is the one that I don't think people talk about actually very much. And it's really um, kind of the... the uh, core. Well, you know, I laugh and I go, you know, all of these are important. All of these factors are incredibly important. And they're, you, according to the teaching of the Buddha, and I know somewhere in the suttas that each of them has a quote, this is the one you need in order to achieve liberation. And it probably is true that for different people, different ones are, uh, speak to them and are important and um, necessary and, and resonate more. Oh, I also forgot my lighter. So if anybody has a lighter, um, you can light that candle. But if not, it doesn't matter. Um, uh, so that just shows an example of non-concentration. Because I was talking about concentration, and then I saw the, I saw the candle and went, lighter. <laughs> so squirrel. Exactly, exactly. So... Or it could be a, a real aspect of concentration, except I was doing something else at the time, you know, um, like speaking. So, but all of these factors are really important, and, and concentration is really so key because that's that is our face-to-face -face experience with reality. When we are concentrated according to what the Buddha taught. We are with what is, without any of our, 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 our uh, conditions and fabrications and preconceived ideas about shoulds and woulds and coulds. It's just us and experience, really right there. And it's, maybe it's not talked about much that I've heard. I'm sure it's talked about a lot, and there are many practices that are strictly concentration-driven. But because it's really difficult to get to that place of, of pure concentration um, and absorption in jhanas. And I think also in Western American Buddhism, the Western insight tradition with Jack Hornfield and Joseph Goldstein, Sharon Salzberg, they don't talk about that as much. They talk much more about insight practice, the mindfulness meditation practice rather than the, the, um, the strictly concentration practice. But they actually work together. They're not mutually exclusive. They work together. Um, and I'll talk about that as I go through this piece. Uh, concentration is... Um, this great line that I love. And concentration is... Leads to enlightenment, as all these things do, but it's the experience of intimacy with the entire universe. It's that intimacy when we have this concentration, when we are able to just be with what is, there's that ability to be intimate with the universe, with whatever is happening. And that kind of is a, a, a definition that really goes hand in hand with the definition of equanimity, which is an intimate experience, a, a intimacy with our own experience, with an ability to be present with what's arising for us in the moment. So... The, the equanimity is at the end of many lists. Concentration is at the end of this non-linear list. Um, and 
they go hand in hand. When you are concentrated, you're not knocked over. You're not out of balance. You're just able to be solid. Like if I had been concentrated, I wouldn't have been dragged away by that. You know, the candle noticing it wasn't lit. But concentration in this realm is wholesome concentration. Wholesome in the way it's used in Buddhist practice, you know, um, beneficial because Bhikkhu Bodhi in, the, in this book gives an example. He gives a number of examples, but the one that sticks out for me is a sniper. A sniper is very concentrated, but a sniper is concentrated on killing someone, which is not wholesome. It goes, you know, flat in the face of the first precept. So there is, there's, as with many of these things, there's wholesome and not unwholesome, beneficial and unbeneficial. Um, somebody I was talking to the other day recently talked about appropriate and inappropriate. You know, that's another way of, of, of couching this, this, this way of viewing these things. Um, but it's, it's a wholesome one-pointedness that we, um, that we bring our attention to, that we really make an effort to, uh, to be with. I, what concentration does, it collects together the dispersed mental states. You know, and that's kind of what I was talking about during the meditation when they described the mind as giving a weather report of the mind. And there's these, these mental states. There's, um, at least it reminds me of these, the weather. There's a stormy, uh, when your mind is stormy and agitated and restless and caught up in so many things and the mind is just dispersed. Especially this time of year. I don't know, anybody have a lot of shit going on? Then to-do lists that are like a lot. Um, you know, you're talking about how crazy it is at work. It's like there's stuff in a million different directions, or there can be. There can be. So a lot of times it's difficult to sit because you sit, you close your eyes, and all of a sudden the to-do lists come up or whatever happens. And that happens at, at any time, not just in this season, but this season can also be um, uh, challenging because of all the emotional baggage that so many people have around Christmas and, and the holidays. So um, we, we um, with concentration, we're able to collect these dispersed states. We're no longer dragged out, dragged away by um, planning and memory and fantasy and all those things. We're able to be calm. We have an unbroken calmness, excuse me, an unbroken attentiveness, which leads to calm. And the calm, in turn, supports the attentiveness. They kind of have this symbiotic relationship. And there's a lovely paragraph he talks about in here, um, Bhikkhu Bodhi. He says, But the mind that has been trained in concentration can remain focused on its object without distraction. This freedom from distraction further induces a softness and a serenity which make the mind an effective instrument for penetration, for clearly seeing. Like a lake unruffled by any breeze, the concentrated mind is a faithful reflector that mirrors whatever is placed before it exactly as it is. So when we are concentrated, when the mind is concentrated, we reflect reality exactly as it is without our preconceived 
you know, um, notions without any kind of conditions or causes or, or um, cravings or desires or aversions. None of that is present because we're with the pure experience of the moment, the pure experience. It's, and it takes effort because our, our reactivity kicks in in nanoseconds. I mean, something happens, we hear something, we immediately go into some kind of reaction, reactive response. You know, we, we're defining what the sound is in our mind. We're, we're feeling something in our leg and defining what that is. Oh, mosquito bite. Oh, you know, foot's asleep. Oh, whatever. So we immediately go into that, but with this practice of stillness, which is where the calm comes from, and the ability to be with, we can um, not be so distracted. There's a, uh, there's a, a story, a fable, I guess, I don't know what it is, um, a story about lion mind and dog mind. Are you all familiar with that one? No good, I'll tell you. Um, <laughs> I'll tell you even if you did know it. Um, no, I wouldn't. Uh, so the, and they, they, I saw this in a book, and I couldn't remember what book I saw it in, but they teach it at Mind Body Awareness Project, which is um, this organization up in Oakland that I worked with for a couple of years. And they teach mindfulness and emotional intelligence to youth in um, juvenile facilities, um, uh, juvenile halls, and um, continuation schools. And really, it, it's so good because kids who grow up in these really uh, harsh communities are always kind of looking out and, 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 and needing to be aware of what's going on and, and the mind's going 100,000 miles an hour. And this is a, so the way they just teach it is really good. And um, it's dog mind. Imagine you have a dog and a, and a lion and a dog, you just kind of throw the bone and it's over there. You remember the, that's what you said, um, squirrel, when I said the, um, Candles. That's from the movie Up. If you've if you've not seen Up, there's a dog in Up that just is like until there's a squirrel and then he's running off, you know, in another direction. And that's what dogs are like. What do you got? What do you got? Just like just distracted so easily. Whereas if you have a lion, the lion is looking at you, and you throw something on the ground to try and distract it, and it will know it's there but you are what the lion is interested in. So it will have this one-pointed attention and focus on you. It's not so easily distracted. So they talk about the cultivation. You have lion, you have, we all have dog mind or monkey mind, as it's often described, where the, the mind just bounces from one thing to another, or lion mind. And what we are cultivating is lion mind. That's that's an image of concentration, just a focus. I don't know if you've, I have, I'm a cat person. I don't know if you've ever gotten into stare down with, stare down with cats, but they are like, they are like, absolutely, or if you've ever seen them hunting, you know, they are absolutely focused. So, um, you know, it's, it's this, this focused concentration and um, an ability to be with what is. Now, um, it's not that easy to get there. It's, I mean, it's, it's really can be challenging because our minds are so conditioned to jumping around or following the thoughts or the experiences, the physical sensations or the emotions or whatever's arising. But we, we practice. And when you're new to meditation, 
you're building your concentration and often the instructions are concentration, concentration, concentration. So you have um, counting um, methodologies like count from one to 10 and back to zero, you know, back to one, count one to 10 and back to one. It can take a really weeks before you can do that without your mind just going off in a direction. And it becomes really, a lot of people go, I can't do this, I can't do this. And instead of saying, I can't do this, what you can do is just see it as how strong the habitual patterns are. It's not that you suck at meditation, it's just that the mind has been doing this however long you've been alive, without any check, for the most part, without a, a big check on it. And today we're, we're, we've got so many things asking, you know, calling for our attention. You know, especially with our with our little devices that are constantly. I mean, you find yourself habitually looking at it, even though. And I watch people. I do it myself, so I'm not like going with these people. Um, I do it, but then I watch people and go, "Oh, they're doing what I do, or I do what they're doing." Yeah, yeah, that that, that one. You're like you're sitting there judging, and then go, "Oh, you know what? I do that too." Um, where you you look at it. And then you put it away, and then two seconds later, you pull it out, and you look at it again, and it's like, really? What happened in that two seconds that's going to change your life? Because that's what you're looking for. You're looking for that hit, that hit. And they've, they've, done, they've done studies on this, and there's actually some stuff that it does to the brain. It's an addictive quality to the brain. So we have a lot more challenges today with the media input that we get from so many ways. Even just walking down the street, we have the the crawls on buildings and the things on buses. And, you know, I love the quote from Banksy. Um, I read a few years ago. I don't remember it exactly, but he goes, this, this information is subliminally coming at us all the time. A bus goes by and it's telling you something. And you don't even realize it. But it's just there. It's there. So that happens all the time these days. And so to, to be concentrated... It takes a lot of effort. It takes a willingness. I congratulate, I mean, I commend all of you for being in this room for 90 minutes and putting putting the stuff down. And then, as soon as class is over, it's like, in the hand, into the pocket, down comes the device. I know, right? Right, Exactly. So this goes back to, you know, talking about um, uh, the precepts and uh, in, it's the fifth precept about watching what you ingest. And Thich Nhat Hanh talks about this explicitly. It's not just intoxicants, but what do you ingest, you know, what do you read, what do you hear, what do you listen to? That's part of, you know, lead to heedlessness, intoxication, you know, mindlessness. This stuff that we consume without even paying attention, you have to begin to... Um, disengage from that so we stand a chance at cultivating concentration. So this, there, it is quite challenging. It is quite challenging. But there, there's a way to do it. And it's like through this is training. What we're doing in here is training for this. Coming and sitting and beginning counting from 1 to 10 and back to 1. If, that, if, if the mind is especially restless or frantic or agitated, do some counting. Um, in, out, on the breath, breathing in, breathing out. Um, in, in traditional teachings, there's all kinds of ways. There's, I can't, I'm not sure how to pronounce it, casinas, 
where you have an object that you focus on. Like you focus on a candle or a, a disc or something. So you have an object. In, in um, yoga, they call it a drishti point. When you're doing balancing practice, you, have a, you pick a point so that you, you need to remain focused. You have to be concentrated. I found that out the hard way. When I've done yoga and I'm standing on one leg with one leg in the air and I'm focused, I can do it. When my mind starts wandering, I fall over. It's really a, a in-your-face example of how this practice, uh, how this works. So um, it's important to, um, you know, that's another way of, of really developing concentration. Um, breath awareness is, is incredibly common, obviously. That's, that's like where we start. That's, that's concentration. The Brahmagiharas are a concentration practice where you're reciting the same phrases, oh, may I be happy, may all beings be happy. Those are, those are concentration practices where you're keeping yourself in the present. You're not aware of perhaps what your experiences are because you're not focused on those. You're, you're, you're aware of or you're just training the mind to stay right here, training the mind to stay right here. And in doing that, um, part of the, 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 the practice of concentration, of, of focusing on your object of awareness, whatever that is, your breath, your body, an object, um, phrasing, um, you begin to build this concentration. And then when you have this concentration, then you're able to begin to see what's happening in the mind. You begin to open up to see what's going on. And this is when you can begin to uh, let go of the hindrances because you begin to see the hindrances. You begin to see, oh, there's this craving uh, happening. There's this oh, um, aversion, the restlessness. And you begin to you know, see what's, you begin to have that clear awareness of what's happening, to see clearly the reality, and then to, to let go of those, to begin to let go of those. Um, let me see what they were saying about that. When I put these classes together, I, I go through this and I go, oh, yeah, that's a good quote. And then it doesn't match what I end up talking about. <laughs> yeah, when we, when, we bring, when we bring our minds to concentration, then we begin to have um, this anchored mind, which is what counteracts the hindrances. So we have this... This, this, this focus and the sustained focus, which is anchors the mind, and then there's this flavor of delight and joy and happiness and the unification of the mind. When you have this unification of the mind, this one-pointedness, then there's, no, there's nothing else that can get in. There's the Because the, it's the hindrances that keep us from our experience. We have an experience, I mean, to keep us from facing our experience clearly without any of the conditioning. Our hindrances are derived from our conditioning. 
You know, we hear a noise or we smell something that's unpleasant. It's not unpleasant because the thing is unpleasant. It's unpleasant because of our conditioning to it. You know, that, that, that old, some of you haven't heard this before. Um, but I was dumped. I lived with a guy who left me for a woman from Boston, a redheaded woman from Boston. <laughs> and for years, any poor woman who went red hair and a um, Boston accent, I had an immediate aversion to. Not that poor person's fault, just my experience with it. So that is how we have to, you know, that's what drives us. But when we are really one-pointed and all I see is a person or, uh, you know, just a, a, I don't even know if I would just say, you know, a, a seemingly female-identified individual or what I would see, it would just be this image in front of me. None of that conditioning would be driving an aversion which would then drive my being snotty to her or just dissing her or just like, what do you want, you know? Um, so really, when it's those hindrances, it's our conditioning that drive our hindrances. And when we're one-pointed, the, there's no room for that conditioning and those hindrances to get in because we're so with the experience. We're so with what is. This is um, part of the concentration practice are the jhanas. Are you familiar with the jhanas? They're the really deep absorption where, where nothing, um, nothing is, is, is getting in. You're just absorbed in your practice. I have actually never experienced jhanas because I've never done that practice. Anybody? You were, you, you've done a Goenka retreat. That's, that would imagine that would be. Lee Brasington, yeah, yeah. So there is a there are teachers in, who who teach primarily jhana practices, but it's in a night. And I'm actually I used to um, I used to just go for me because and this is, I'll talk about this. Um, um, Bhikkhu Bodhi talks about this, and he says that concentration is really necessary. I mean, you can't really develop mindfulness if you're not concentrated because the mind is too distracted, the mind is bouncing around too much. You need to have that concentration so the mindfulness can rest on it. But it's the, um, the application of those four foundations of mindfulness There's, that brings the insight that's necessary for um, uh, 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 wisdom and, and enlightenment and liberation. Seeing clearly, not just one-pointedness, but one-pointedness with wisdom to see clearly around it, with it. And um, so I've never, uh, and because it's the tradition in Western um, American Buddhism that, you know, the, West, the inside tradition that was brought over in the early 60s, they kind of kind of sloughed over the jhanas, because saying, you know, insight is where it's at. Insight's where it's at. So I've never, never done much in that realm, but now I'm like thinking, I'd like to actually experience that really deep, deep, deep concentration to see where it might go, not necessarily that I'm 
craving some kind of an experience, but it can only be beneficial, I would imagine, for creating this foundation that mindfulness can rest on. You know, creating that ability to stay present and not be so distracted because you're, all of these things we're building our muscle, we're building our mental faculties, facilities for staying with what is. And that's where freedom is, to stay with, let go of that conditioning, to let go of that conditioning, because that's, that's where the suffering is, that's what causes our discomfort, that's where the greed, the hatred, and the ignorance lie, in that conditioning. Um, so, yeah, uh, so the mindfulness and insight work together, and in fact, um, uh, I was reading some stuff, and Tanisar Bhikkhu, Tan Jeff, and Anjan Brahm also uh, both were writing about um, insight and concentration are both necessary, and you get calm um, and insight from meditation, but the, the samatha, shamatha meditation and the vipassana meditation, the concentration and, and the um, uh, insight meditation. They're, they work together. So they're not like mutually exclusive, but they work together. Yeah. I'm trying to figure out, like, I have a right. Yeah. Trying to. Oh, it's fun. Yeah. Yes. When I think concentration, is it like, is it like a physical thing or is it like a mental thing? Because like, I was thinking, like, when you first said concentration, is kind of like staring at the wall and that's what you're going to see no matter what is going on. Mm -hmm. I think that's like a. Physically? I don't know. Or is it like knowing that this is the path that you're going to stay on? Or is that excellent? You know, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. And then, I don't know. It's just kind of like, it's just like a, this is what I'm going to be doing. And this, you know, like a focused perspective. Perspective thing? Or is it just like a, an intention? I guess that's like, I don't know. <laughs> it's, it's, no, it's, it's, it took a long time to really get a, an understanding of what it is and it's the it's the one pointed it's the ability to just be with what is in this in this moment but the methodology to get to it is like staring at the wall okay or and it's you know staring at the wall or counting or just being with the breath and and letting everything else go just being focused on that particular object of awareness which leads to calm and leads to the dropping away of everything. And then when you bring in the insight practice, you build up the concentration practice, and then you bring in the insight practice where you have this open awareness. You have the deep concentration that you've built up through these other practices of breathing in and breathing out. And we do it, but we do it in a shorthand way. In, um, in, in our classes and oftentimes in our practice. So it's oftentimes when you go on retreat, you spend days, depending on how long the retreat is, you spend days in the concentration piece of it because you want to build up that stability. It's this building of stability of the mind. And then you bring in the insight, the foundations of mindfulness where you open it up so you have the stability so that you can hold the emotions that arise. You can hold the unpleasant. You can hold the sadness, the grief, the joy. You're able to be with whatever's happening. Because, and, and it's just whatever is right now. 
without any preconceived notions or, or jumping off into fabrications and embellishments upon sort of the proliferation of thought. And then, and then the, um, you know, the, the fourth foundation is this ability to be with whatever is, the dhammas. It's a, the, and the dhamma is translated as what it is, the way it is, you know, and without coloring. That's a huge, it's a huge um, ask. It's a huge ask. Um, you know, the Buddha was focused. He was, that was his life's goal. So I got other things going on, but I, I'm trying to do that too, to help me do these other things. Do you raise with any of your fingers? I just, I heard a comment. I just was realizing that there was both a, an external and an internal, mm -hmm. and that that actually is the direction of the four foundations. Mm -hmm. You should always look external and internal. Mm -hmm. So I was thinking of it before, but when you asked the question in that way, it kind of triggered for me, oh, yeah, it is both. Mm -hmm. It is that focus outward, and then it's the experience. So it's actually an external. So I think most of the time I've been Right. 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 In the jhana practice, it's 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 just the focus. I mean, you might be looking externally to a point, but and then moving into the satipatthana, you have the yeah everything. Joy or whatever mm -hmm. comes up in the jobs. Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 I'm not. Tell me. I'm, I'm, um, oh, is it? Here's a, here's a, here's a line. The John, let's see if this is my interpretation of what he said or if I actually, this, um, oh yeah, this is his line. Even so, the absorptions, the jhanas, there's eight jhanas, and um, I'm not even going to go into them. Like, I, I don't speak jhana because I don't experience jhana, so I just, you can read this if you want to know. Um, even so, these absorptions reached by the path of serenity meditation, which is the concentration jhanas, as exalted as they are, still lack the wisdom of insight and so are not yet sufficient for gaining deliverance. You need the insight practice. So you use the jhanas, the, the concentration practice, to build up that one-pointedness so that you can be with the emotions that arise. And while I was talking, it reminded me of this story of this um, this old, I don't know if it was a lama or Rinpoche or Zen monk or an ajahn. I'm not sure who it was. Uh, but I read this story that he was very, very old and he was um, suffering from dementia. And they brought him to a place where he was going to give like his last public teaching. And there was a room full of people and he, they brought him and he was sitting in the front and he had, he didn't know what to say or he really was, wasn't able to give any kind of a talk. But he sat there. And he just said, he just spoke what was arising, like fear, fear, anxiety, calm. You know, just really being concentrated 
and open to whatever was arising without able to maybe have, you know, the, the wherewithal to take it further than this just this base level of being present with the actual experience. Um, you know, the, the, what was that? Did I read that one thing that I love that line about um, a mirror of reality, you know? Like a lake unruffled by any breeze, the concentrated mind is a faithful reflector that mirrors whatever is placed before it exactly as it is. The emotions that arise, the thoughts, the, the physical sensations, like the, the senses, smell, taste, touch, without those hindrances, without the, the um, causes and conditions that, that, that cause all the problems. Mm -hmm. Any comments or thoughts or questions around this? It's it, it it's um um uh, uh, challenging, but worth the effort. And here's a quote that I like that um, uh, Dojin said. If the least like or dislike arises, the mind is lost in confusion. So a concentrated mind doesn't leave space for likes and dislikes. Because that's the, that's the preconceived notions. That's the, that's the hindrances. Ooh, like, dislike. As soon as that shows up, that's where you're confused. Even if you're, but I always like to say, I had a friend who always used to say her mind was just an eighth of an inch off. <laughs> it was close enough to reality to get into trouble, but it was not because it seems perfect, but there's this, this gauze that, that's over everything that's just kind of making it a little bit fuzzy, although we're so used to it, we're not, we don't even realize it. Again, the water we swim in, we don't see it. So, um, any, and then the Buddha said, what did he say? He who understands, he who has concentration understands things according to their reality. Those things are arising and passing away. If you're concentrated, you can see things according to their reality, not on our take, not, you know, through the doors of perception, not in Plato's cave, just seeing the shadows, mm -hmm. but absolutely facing things full on, which takes a lot of courage, which is why a lot of people walk away from this practice. Because that's what's asked of us, to sit on the proverbial cushion and be with the arising of what is. And that starts happening when you develop the concentration that you can stay present. It's not all bliss. So many people come to this practice and they want bliss, and there are those practices where you're simply concentrating and you just kind of chill. And that has a, serves a purpose. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know? Um, but you just, you know, you make the effort to stay present and see things clearly for what they are. 